Let me start with an unbelievable research study done by a guy named Bankston. Came at it last year. He looked at four generations of religious con- continuity, meaning he looked at, imagine somebody having the patience to do this study. He looked, I think he had a thousand subjects. So listen to what this study does. It's unbelievable what he did. <coughs> he takes a look at not one generation, not two, not three, but four generations to see what's the best predictor of the great-grandchild being from in the same way or religious in the same way as his or her great-grandparents. This wasn't a Jewish study. It was done across faiths. But what was fascinating is he found one core predictor. Again, the name of the book is Families and Faith. Families and Faith. And he looked at it in a fascinating way. Every possible iteration. Anybody want to guess what the best predictor of Hemshech Adoros is? That's good. I like that. Simcha, um, I wish that was the finding. But I think joy was part of it. But there was something even more powerful than Simcha. Huh? Proximity is another interesting example. But I, I know, I mean, we see that there is continuity even across continents. It, it was level of parental warmth. So that even if your child left, he had a whole subset of hundreds and hundreds of kids who left the religion. But then he predicts who, which kids come back after leaving. And you know what the main predictor was? Level of warmth, even after the child left. The ability to continue holding a child's hand. Let me illustrate this with this story, then I'll get into the tachlis. This is going to sound weird, it's going to sound made up, but it's a nice story. It's even true, okay? But this one sounds made up, so I just have to tell you it really happened. I grew up in a simpler time. So I grew up in a time that, um, you know, pretty much, I don't know, it was, uh, um, I grew up in a place where um, it's just a different, simpler world. Okay. I went to a modern Orthodox yeshiva, and um, later on, I went to Sift of Long Beach and Tarvadas, but I started very modern Orthodox because that was the only school in town. I was a child of a rabbi in the town, and that was the only choice. So that's where I went. I always found it amazing that this tight-knit group of people who I went to school with, so let's say there were 30 or 40 of us back then, everyone except two stayed from. I don't know how that compares to the rate today, but not bad. Two out of 30, two out of 40, whatever it was, was a pretty good success rate, especially compared to the rates of other religions. And it was complicated, you know? It was a modern time. It was just a time that you wouldn't have expected it. Fine. So, I'm scholar in residence at a shul in California. And 
I was hosted by one of the guys, one of those 30, 40 guys who I went to school with as a young kid. And we're sitting in shul, you know, and a guy comes in to the back of the shul. He looks very familiar. And I sort of like nudge the guy next to me, my host. I say, that guy looks familiar. Is this somebody we know from the old country? He says, yeah. He says, it's that guy. And it's one of the two. One of the two. I can't believe it because we're already like, I don't know, in our 50s. And, you know, we're already getting on the early 60s, whatever it was. This was, I guess, I was in my 50s then. And I said, wait a second. I heard that he intermarried. I heard, I heard he, he, he was totally gone from the religion. He said, I don't know what happened, but he's coming here with his second wife and with his children. So I go over to the guy after davening and I say, it's so nice to see you. We totally lost touch with you. Tell me your story. I said, I heard that you left. What, what brought you back? So he says, yeah. He says, it's very funny. He said, my father never gave up on me. He never gave up on me. He was always there. And no matter what I did, he was always there. And he said, you know something? It wore me down. And here I am. Okay? So, and here's where the story gets mystical. I'm telling you, I, would, I couldn't make this up. The next day, I'm asked to give a parenting talk. I forget the name of the yeshiva, but I do remember it was in Fred Astaire's old studio. It was a school that part of their building complex was their auditorium used to be where Fred Astaire taught dance in his later years. And I'm up. I remember I gave a talk with Wendy Mogul. And I'm giving the talk, and I think I'm saying things. It's many, many years later, but I could swear I see the second guy in the back. And I can't concentrate on my talk. I'm not listening to myself. And I finish the talk and I run off the dais and I run to the back and I figure I'm making a fool of myself. What are the odds? I'm just primed to see somebody who I hadn't seen in 40, 50 years, whatever it is, 40 years. I say, and I call him by name, the second guy. And he says, yeah. He says, I, I remember you. He says, I can't believe you remember me. And it's him. It's the second guy. And I had heard really bad things about where he had gone when he was lost. Bad. I won't even tell you the rumors. Okay? So I said, what happened? I heard you were like a Buddhist or something. You were totally gone. So what happened? And he says, my mother never stopped holding my hand. She never stopped holding my hand. Fascinating. I know halachically there are all kinds of questions, but that's what Bengston's research shows. Bengston's research shows in family and faith, you want to know who's going to come back? It's people who have parents like that. Now, so the first thing I want to talk about in terms of the research is managing expectations. Let's talk about managing expectations. Okay? So number one is, the first couple of slides are just about adolescence. What happens when your adolescence, not you? Sometimes it may be somebody who comes from a more modern family. I was just talking to some people about it, whose son, you know, may grow pious and is wearing his sitsis out and is, you know, it's the ultimate rebellion. So they're checking their mezuzahs all over the place. How did I get such a kid? Okay? More often... It's a kid who has absolutely no interest in religion at all. 
So the first thing to realize is if you respond to this challenge with anger or rejection, I'm not saying you, of course you have to disapprove. Of course you have to have the small docha, the limit setting. But if you respond in a way that cuts off all ties, it's almost guaranteeing that they'll never come back. Right? There's, we know from all the research on the psychology of religion that there's a direct connection between the Bain Adam L'Chavero and the Bain Adam L'Makam. And if things are off in the Bain Adam L'Chavero, <coughs> in this case, parent-child, okay, it's going to show itself in their not coming back to the Bain Adam L'Makam. Okay? Just common sense. So when parents need help in understanding that during adolescence, it's normal, just like they change their style of hair or change the clothing they wear. As one of the researchers in this area talks about, they change their taste in music. That's what adolescents do for a living. Don't get freaked out by it. That's what kids do. You know, if you make it into an issue, it becomes, you know, the equivalent of saying, don't think of a pink elephant, don't think of a pink elephant, don't think of a pink elephant. If instead you find the right balance between love and limits, it's much less likely to become a a source of permanent alienation. It's just common sense. It's just common sense. Okay? So, um, by the way, in the modern Orthodox world, in our research at, um, you know, we had a grant from Avichai and we looked at 1,200 kids. We found that age 16-year-old boys, they really take a dive in their religious actions and beliefs in our community. I'm sure it's a whole different trajectory in the more yeshivish community and in the more Hasidish community. But we know that almost like if you just hold on, those kids are likely going to come back, especially if they go to Eretz Yisrael for a couple of years. Okay? Age 16. They're all nuts. They're all crazy at age 16. Girls, it's a little bit of a different trajectory. But to just understand, by the way, in the general community, that's what happens at age 16. In the general community, age 16 is the height of antisocial behavior by even well-adjusted kids. So I think that's just an important piece of information to hold on to. Okay? So that's this slide. Misbehavior peaks at 16. This is in the general community. Okay? Um, look at this in the general community. We don't have this, but we have it writ smaller. As many as 60% of mid-adolescents admit to a range of misbehaviors. This is what they do. Okay? And it happens in its own way because the brain is developing in a way that just almost guarantees that this is going to happen. Okay? Here's just some other studies on, okay? Um, one-third of American adolescents reported changes in the personal importance of religion from one year to the next. Spiritual salience decreases between 12 and 18, but if you just stay in there by young adulthood, it shoots all the way up again. The key is how to help parents understand how not to give up, how to stay in there, and how to maintain the cashier.